Welcome to Life Club. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong, powerful Christy Hunter R. Scott. Christy, are you ready to do this? Great. Thanks for having me. Yep, I'm ready. All right. Excited to have you on. Christy is a Rhodes Scholar, a career advisor. She's been ranked by Thinkers 50. It's one of the world's leading management thinkers. Her new book is Begin Boldly, How Women Can Reimagine Risk, Embrace Uncertainty, and Launch a Brilliant Career. Christy, excited to have you on. Tell us a little about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, so... I do what I do because I want to help equip and empower women to lead and craft bold and brilliant careers and lives. And I think we sometimes need a toolkit and a method to do that. We need more than inspiration. We need more than this is how I did it. We need this is how you can do it too. And that's really the focus of my work. It's really on bridging the gap between what women are aspiring to do and what they're actually taking action on. And so I always say, do your actions match your aspirations? And for most of us, if we're honest, um, we'd aspire to be bolder and braver and more courageous and take more risks in our lives professionally and personally. But many of us struggle to put those aspirations into action. And so I really am focused on bridging that gap. And uh, that's really what I'm passionate about. Oh, I appreciate that. A toolkit and a method. I, I couldn't agree more. I am a person who who loves frameworks or a methodology or a process because <laughs> I'm a hardworking person, just like I'm sure most of the people who are are looking at you and wanting to emulate the success you've had or want success, but they don't know. Okay, I I I, I just want to know if I do these things, this is a result that I'll probably get. Yeah, but what's interesting, so one is to get over a fear of taking risks, you really need a method to do it. Because I say, you know, we're not telling you to go in a paraglide blind when you've never been paragliding and jump off the cliff. It's not take any risk and all risks are good risks. However, that human tendency to want to control outcomes, like I'm going to read Christie's book and this is going to be the result. It's interesting because my book is not about avoiding failure or minimizing the risk of failure. It's really about how you deal with failure and use that for growth that's even more than if you had a consistent choice to play it safe. So we don't always control the outcomes, but what we can control is our mindsets and how we leverage those um, outcomes for growth. Yeah, no doubt. I can't. No control over what happens. So just position, yeah. we position ourselves oh, for success. We like right. a false sense of control, right? <laughs> We crave, we crave that for sure. So are, is it fair to say that, that women are, are, have historically and currently not as are, are more risk adverse than our men? Yeah. So I would say some, you know, different researchers will say different things and it's always hard to, you know, paint all women with a broad brush, but I will say that in general, my work and other research has said, yes. And a perfect example is the study that was done years ago by Hewlett Packard. It's a famous HP study that came out in HBR and said that, you know, women will only apply for a job when they have 100% requirements um, and tick every box. And men will apply when they have 60. And this is a, a, a study that's been done in one shape or form in many different contexts. And it's just one example 
of the fact that men are more likely to take a chance on themselves when they don't tick all the boxes, when they don't feel fully confident or ready, while women are sometimes waiting for this elusive feeling of confidence or readiness to come. Um, and that actually delays our action and our growth. From so, and, and that makes all sense in the world. Um, that that we want to feel confident, that we want to to be positioning ourselves and putting our best foot forward. And I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> um, is 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 there a, a a deeper biological risk risk aversion going on there as well? That if I step out, that 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 this will be dangerous. Yeah. Or... Yeah, that's a fascinating question. And I haven't looked at the research around nature versus nurture enough. Um, I always think, too, that once we get into biology and we're saying, you know, all women are like this or their brains function like this, we can sometimes end up with research that exacerbates a gender divide rather than closes it. And so for me, I think it's multifactorial. I don't know all of the different factors. What I will say is an example of why women might not take risks. There's so many societal things. So it's been proven that women receive different consequences for risks gone wrong. And a perfect example is if a woman negotiates for a job offer, um, there's been research out of Harvard saying the woman's more likely to receive backlash or actually have that offer rescinded. So it's not simple enough just to say, negotiate for the job, negotiate for the offer. We really face different societal reactions to us and therefore risks gone wrong have different repercussions. So although the tools in the book could be applicable to anyone, um, it makes sense that women are more hesitant to. And therefore, we want to give them the tools to navigate that, to navigate those repercussions and do it in a really strategic way. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I've had a lot of conversations with with my wife and, and other women and men about not necessarily this, but something similar to that, where if a woman, if, if my wife feels like if I act in this way, people are going to think that that I am a bitch versus I'm an assertive person. Yeah. Um, and it's not that I resist that because I certainly don't. I think that it, I, I find that to be gross and it's sad that, yeah. that, 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 that is the way that, that maybe many people feel that way. Um, so I just threw yeah. that out there. <laughs> no, it's such a relevant example. And your wife's exactly right. I mean, you know, a woman, a man will be veil be labeled confident while a woman might be labeled abrasive or aggressive or self-serving or, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, and then at, or, or the conundrum that your wife said, and that's a lot of like what the double binds that women get in. It's really hard to be likable and confident. It's really hard to self-promote without some level of backlash. And, that's why I want to give people the tools to do that. So I'll give you one example of the tools in my book is, you know, I give a story um, and I talked about this during my session this morning with women, which is I was traditionally trained as a debater and public speaker. And from the age of 11, I was doing international public speaking competitions. And then throughout my teens, I went to the world schools debating championships. I was in you know Singapore and the U S and South Africa. And then, 
during my time at Brown, I went back and I, I coached and then I judged the world schools. So I would say I had a fair amount of speaking and persuasive speaking experience. But I always felt like when you go into a negotiation, you should have all of your ducks in a row, all of your data points, almost like preparing a debate argument, like making sure it's bulletproof, making sure you makes it defensible, go in with your guns blazing. And for me, early in my career, using that negotiation technique actually backfired and things that I really, really desired, relationships and contracts, sometimes just didn't materialize. And for many of the reasons that I think, you know, your wife mentioned, I think the women that are negotiated in that way face a certain amount of backlash. So one thing I've been using with my clients over the years that works really well is embedding certain forms of curious questioning and strategic questioning into negotiations. So instead of just focusing on what you want to say, also focus on what you want to ask. And there's been some amazing work on the power of questions out of Harvard, Allison Wood Brooks, out of other universities. I think the, the woman, the researcher's name is Allison Fregal, and um, Adam Grant has featured some of it in a TED Talk, The Power of Powerless Communication, um, Katie Lil Genquist. So um, it's really amazing because although their research showed the power of questions in persuasion, my research has shown the power of questions not only in persuasion, but that the benefit of that is even more for women because it helps us navigate that that gender bind that we're often in. Can you give me an example? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm going to give you an example that was actually in the research, which is they did two scenarios, and this wasn't gender specific. So um, and they it was a deserted island scenario, and they were looking at kind of persuasion and likability in a group. And in this scenario, individuals had to propose what devices they would keep on the island. And they only had, you know, a select number they could keep. So they had to let certain things go. And if one person went in and said, we should choose the flashlight, it is the best night signaling device. Not very persuasive, not very likable, didn't get a lot more power. But if I came to you and I said in this scenario, I wonder if we should choose the flashlight. Hmm. I think it could be the best night signaling device. Suddenly, people were engaged in a conversation and dialogue. It built buy-in. It built um, power within the group and persuasiveness. So um, in my book, I outline the kind of questions you can use when you're having negotiations or making courageous asks to really focus not just what you're going to say, but, but giving options as well. Another great way is this concept of optionality. So imagine a child. If you say you have to eat your broccoli, the chances of them eating that broccoli, not that great. But if you say you can have broccoli or arugula, what are you going to pick? Most people would pick the broccoli. So it's really interesting, like even giving people options has the power to kind of lead something to a solution. How do you feel about and think about and consult coach on on practicing these these skills, these questions? Yeah. Um, so it's really helpful, just like any important conversation that you prepare for it and I have a simple framework that I use with clients because I like to reframe negotiation as making a courageous ask. 
And the reason why is negotiation, it says that men are more likely to view it as a game, a fun game. And women are more likely to compare it to going to the dentist and getting a tooth pulled. It's like painful, it's miserable, you don't want to go. And so language, the language we use can either elicit action or inhibit action. And I find that using the term negotiation inhibits action and makes us feel self-serving, makes us feel um, we're out to get something, like going to the dentist, whatever it may be. Well, saying I'm going to make a courageous ask that for a salary or a package that better reflects my value and contributions, that feels so much better. Um, so a couple uh, tips that I give women and men when they're focusing on this. One is to start off with your intent. And that is, what is your why? What is your motivation for this conversation? And the reason why I, I focus on this first is inevitably you will face fear, anxiety, self-doubt going into difficult discussions. You will. It's not about saying, will it exist? It is, it will. And the question is, how will I move through it? How will I continue? And so for me, when I have to, let's say, make a courageous ask around being on a podcast or writing an article or negotiating a client contract, I focus on my why. And my why will always be about like impact or about financial stability or about something bigger than just myself. Um, and that when I feel nerves, I always refocus on my why, because I believe that anyone with a strong enough why can endure the next step. So then I, I, I encourage people to look at the intersection. And that's really the intersection of the, the needs and desires of the conversation partner and themselves. So often in, in training and negotiation, um, let's say I, have a, I had a client and she really was struggling. She wanted to push innovation and create this amazing next gen program in a company that was 150 years old. Hmm. And she was struggling and she had a manager title and she really wanted to get a more powerful title so she could move through the red tape and the questions or another solution around how to get things done more efficiently. So she went to the CEO. She, she kind of framed her intent why she wanted to do this. And then she framed the intersection of their needs, which is like, you both want us to you know, change the culture and bring more vibrancy to it and innovate and build a culture of entrepreneurship. So she aligned on that shared intersection of interest, which was really, really important. And then she asked questions, which is the third step. So we've got, you know, the, the intent, the intersection and the questions where she used strategic curiosity and questioning to say, it might be, there's a whole list of questions. And, you know, you could say, what would you do if you were in my position? You could say, you know, here are some options about how we could approach this. What do you think? Um, you could say, uh, given the dynamics, what are the things I should be considering? And then in the end, she gave some options. She said, I can either, you know, elevate every discussion and email to you where I need your sign off. I can, she gave one other and she said, or we could, you know, change my title. And in her early thirties, I think she was 31. She became the first chief officer of the company at that age and was reporting directly to the CEO. So that's just a powerful model. Again, you know, intent, intersection, really you look at curiosity or inquiry. And then the last one is really options, presenting options. But I find that kind of approach for tactical preparation is really helpful. 
I love it. That makes a ton of sense. As we all, we all have anxiety and fear when we think about going into some kind of a big conversation. And maybe that's not true. Maybe there's there psychopaths out there that are just that, yeah. that don't care. At all. But for me, I know that I certainly do. So the more prepared that I can be and I like to play things out in my head and try to say, okay, here's here's what I want to get across. It doesn't mean that it's going to, but so getting clear in what my intent is. What was the intersection piece again? It's really the intersection of the needs and desires of you and your conversation partner. So you can even use this in relationships, right? It's thinking about my intent is to, let's say, get a better balance of how we manage household and child care tasks. And the intersection of interests with a partner might be like, we both care about this household and about our family and about us both succeeding in our careers. And then, so that's kind of like a shared interest. Um, and then you go into really the questions and you could even present options. So which of these scenarios do you think would work? What if I took on this and you took on this? What if I took on this and you took on this? And so another powerful tool that I talk about later in the book is you don't always have to propose a, a sweeping forever change. You can use the process of what I call agile experimentation to take risks on a smaller scale. So what if we tried this for a month and we'll decide on what matters, we'll measure that at the end of the month, and then we'll decide whether to continue with the experiment, expand it, you know, abandon it, enhance it. And that's another great tool of persuasion. I love it. Those are super helpful. And just as you talk through it, it, it makes total sense. Um, it is changing really the entire conversation away from me making demands or assertions to, um, to successfully um, having a more fruitful and probably effective negotiation and conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's always worth a try. You have to try these different approaches I always say everything in life is a try it and tweak it approach. So to the listeners on the line, I'd encourage you to try out that model and then tweak moving forward. What did you learn from it? Um, the whole thing I talk about in the book is that risking should be a continuous process for the rest of our lives. And I say we should assess a risk, decide whether to take it, assess the rewards and failures are rewards um, as well, as long as we learn from them and leverage them for growth. Uh, refine, which is, will I let the outcomes of this risk-taking refine me or define me? And we should let them refine us, not define us, because otherwise we're, um, you know, associating just an isolated outcome with our identity. So that's a really important differentiation. And then we should repeat. And that should happen for the rest of your life. You should be risk, reward, refine, repeat. And when you think about making a courageous ask, it should be one of many risks that you're taking on a continuous basis. Amazing. I love it. Well, Christy, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage? And where can they get a copy of Begin Boldly, How Women Can Reimagine Risk, Embrace Uncertainty, and Launch a Brilliant Career? And I think, Christy, this is certainly a book that will apply to me directly and, yeah. and men as well. Yeah. So it's really interesting. One of the, the book came out on August 2nd. And one of the things I've been most amazed by is the response from men and people at later stages in their career. And, you know, um, this, like right at the beginning, it says how women and, you know, I had a, a, a man share on Instagram and cross it out and put anyone. And, you know, if you look at the reviews on Amazon, uh, so many of them are from more senior, senior level men um, in their careers. So 
Anyways, I, I just a quick bit um, in terms of who it's relevant for. I mean, it is for it could be amazing for young women, whether they're in university or the earlier stages of their careers. But if you're later in your career, the time to start risking and having a method to do that is now. And that's irrespective of whether you're male or female. Um, and then also, it's great for people that coach, mentor, parent, um, or teach uh, women, whether it be in the workplace or you know women in college. So definitely think about that. And it's written like a curriculum because I didn't want just inspiration. I wanted it to be actionable. So for book clubs, you can do one chapter and exercise a month um, because it is written like here's an exercise each chapter. So in terms of getting it, um, it's on Amazon. Um, it's at major book retailers as well, Barnes and Noble. Um, some of the more small independent ones as well. So just look out for it in your local bookstore or order it online. And in terms of reaching out to me, everything's under my name. So it's Christy Hunter R. Scott. And that is my website. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on Instagram. And um, I'd love to hear from you. If you found any insights powerful in this podcast, if you are living more boldly or using some of the frameworks I talked about today, tag me, hashtag live boldly, hashtag begin boldly, whatever makes sense. But I really believe we cannot be what we cannot see. And aspirations directly linked to visibility. And the more that we make our bold moves visible, the more we're going to impact the aspirations of others. I love it. If you enjoyed this much as I did, show Christy your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up a copy of Begin Boldly, How Women Can Reimagine Risk, Embrace Uncertainty, and Launch a Brilliant Career wherever you buy your books. Go to Christy Hunter R. Scott, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E-H-U-N-T-E-R-A-R-S-C-O-T-T.com, and then find her on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. List all of those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Christy. Thanks so much. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.